you definitely experience situations that you could describe as microaggressions or you could describe as racist full stop. We should never be complacent with the progress that's been made. If it's still happening, that means it's still a, you know, a problem. You are listening to the England Rugby Podcast, O2 Inside Line, and I am Maro Itoje. My name is Maro Itoje. I play for Saracens Rugby Club and England Rugby. I am a second row. Second row literally means in the second row of the scrum. The key defining characteristic of most second rows is that they tend to be tall and reasonably athletic. To play second row, you have to enjoy some of the nitty-gritty parts of the game. A large parts of what we do aren't particularly glamorous. You know, we scrum, we moor, we hit rocks. But you know, second row is the most important position on the pitch. I was raised in North London, pretty much lived in North London all of my life. Both my parents were, were born and raised in Nigeria. It was a Nigerian-British household that we, we, we lived in. It was myself, my two siblings, Jeremy and Isabel, and you know both of my parents. It was a great childhood. The house was full of food, full of laughter, full of people coming in and out. The phone was always ringing. It was always a busy place to be. So it was um, a great way to spend a childhood. I was an extremely hyper child. You know, I was always running around, always playing. Even though I was born and raised in Northwest London, the household was Nigerian. In terms of the cultural values that was instilled in me as a child, Things like respect, respect for seniority, culture, you know, the food we eat. And all those things are slightly different to Western norms or British culture in some respect. So there was a little bit of a difference between, you know, the what was expected of us in, in our homes compared to what was expected of us outside of the home. And I guess that's relatively normal for people who've come from two cultures. I always say that, you know, I was born and raised in Northwest London, but my house was Lagos because it was very much Nigerian to, to its core. But you step outside of that, you're in this multicultural city, you're in Britain, um, and all the great things that brings with it. It became normal operating in those two different worlds because that was all I ever knew. Perhaps it would be a culture shock if, you know, I grew up just in London, then moved to Nigeria. You only really become conscious of it as you become older. When you're going through it as a, as a child, you're just, you know, living and operating in, in, in those worlds. My first experience of rugby was going to school the, uh, the morning after England won in 2003 and seeing it on the news. We had a little TV in our little cafeteria and me thinking absolutely nothing of it. I grew up in a Nigerian household and rugby is not a thing in Nigeria. It's barely even spoken about. Changing a little bit now, but especially back then, 
it was it's not in the Nigerian psyche. Nigeria is very much a football crazy country. Then that primary school was probably about 500 meters away from Ramley Road, which was Sarsen's first training ground and the pitch they used to play in back in the amateur era. So I always used to see Sarsons in and around the place, but again, didn't really make a proper connection with it. Then my last year at my primary school, um, a man called Floyd Stedman became our headmaster. He was the first black captain of, of Saracens um, in the 80s. He was a scrum half, you know, he was a very confident, articulate, smart individual. And he mentioned to me, oh, I think you should play rugby. My name is Floyd Stedman, and I'm a recently retired headmaster, and a young Maro Itoji was a, a pupil at my school. On the games field, Maro was one that stood out. He had the skill set and the passion about him that told me there's a young man here that could be exceptional at sport. I would actually say he was an ideal student. Very, very hardworking. He had a focus about him. He knew that he needed to work hard in the class. He had that focus, that determination, that drive. Um, he didn't mind making mistakes because he firmly understood that it's part of the process. If you're not failing, you're not pushing yourself. And Mario would always push himself academically and on the sports field. Mario has had a huge impact on um, diversity within rugby. He probably won't realise how much of a positive impact he's had. There have been a number of very, very talented young black second rows emerging from the game. And I think a lot of that is down to Marrow. There were so many youngsters that are now playing rugby saying, well, if Marrow Itoji can do it, then I can do it as well. And that's great to see. I always, always felt that Marrow was going to play rugby for England when I started to watch him um, progress through the ranks. I still believe that he is a potential um, future England captain, and I'd love to see that. And it will really have even more minority people saying, well, you know, if the England captain's a black man, then perhaps there are chances for me. Oh, my goodness. Marrow and Toje in broad daylight. Yeah, that was some sort of wizardry. How does that even happen? Excellent from Marrow and Toje. And there's no stopping it from there. So I went to secondary school and my brother started playing rugby. He loved it. He would come home, talk about it. I would go to watch some of his games. I was naturally very keen and eager to play. So eventually I started playing rugby and I fell in love with the game. So I went to secondary school at the age of 11. And not only did I, was it a secondary school, it was also a boarding school as well. I guess it was a whole new experience for me. Most of my life was in North London up until that point. Then I went to a boarding school in Harford in Hertfordshire, which seemed very, very rural to me at the time. It's probably not the most rural of places, but it seemed very rural to me. And for me, it was amazing because it just felt like I had a sleepover with my best friends every day. I was having the time of my life. The weekend was the best part because we had the whole school basically to ourselves. We could just do whatever we want. The, the experience was extremely positive for me.
Rugby did a lot for me on a personal level. It's helped me get used to uncomfortable environments. It's helped me become a more sociable individual. It's helped me learn how to interact with a whole load of people from different walks of life, from different parts of the world, who have different experiences to me. It's helped me with my confidence. I was playing rugby through the years where, you know, you find yourself as an individual, as a human being. So it played a huge role in my life. Um, rugby in terms of maturing, in terms of trying to be the, the man that I, I want to be. So I started playing rugby at the age of 11 at St. George's School in Harpenden. So yeah, I had a great time there. But by the time I turned 16, I kind of felt it was time for a change. And naturally, being you know a good rugby player, you get people trying to get in contact, trying to get you to play rugby for their schools. So I had a few different offers, but I decided on Harrow, Harrow School. Um, and obviously Harrow is a big public school, very, very famous school with a rich history and probably one of the most recognized schools in, in the country. So it was great for me to go there and study there for two years. I did my A-levels there. In terms of rugby, it was great for me because I had access to better facilities, probably a little bit better coaching, and it was able to almost help professionalize myself in transition for what was to come. Maro on the pitch, he's an absolute machine. He's so effective at what he does, he, he disrupts everything the opposition want to do. My name's Henry Slade. I play for Exeter Chiefs and England Rugby. He's a massive leader in the set piece with the forwards, but also just in general. His presence on the pitch is massive. Off the pitch, a real laid-back guy. Yeah, real top, top boy, legend, actually. Into a few different things that I'm into, um, like his art and his reading. But um, yeah, I have a great relationship with Mara. Relaxed, chilled. Like I say, when he hits the pitch, he's a, he's a machine. Throughout my education, the amount of time that is spent on black history has been extremely minimal. By the time I was 18, I actually didn't really know too much about African history, black history, or too much about you know, the contribution of Africa to the world or black people to the world more holistically. It produced a single story. It didn't produce a full picture of what the contribution to, to history was that left me having to study and you know look out for myself individually. I think it's important for other people to know about other people's contribution to the world from a historical point of view. I think that's very important, but it also helps you understand someone else's story a little bit better. It helps you create a fuller picture of society and some of these biases that we have against certain parts of the world, I will either not be as strong or most likely not even exist if we were taught a fuller, more whole story about the contribution of different parts of the world to the world. It gave me probably a further knowledge of self. It probably helped me with 
having pride in where I've come from. It gave me alternative role models to to look look up to. It gave me, I guess, a stronger foundation to to stand on. Ultimately, I think it just probably gave me a bit more self-confidence and pride of who I actually am. The Black Curriculum is a social enterprise which essentially want to improve the quality of Black history being taught in schools and have it taught more widely to have a more holistic view on Black history within the UK. It just challenges the, the biases that we have, particularly the unconscious biases that we have. You know, I think we are through the you know the media we consume the tv we watch our interactions we're conditioned to think a certain way and if we have a more holistic view of education not only regarding africa but other parts of the world there'll be more truth in our thought processes and i think we'll also be able to further relate to one another in a deeper a more meaningful sense which hopefully affect or minimize some of the microaggressions that we may experience from time to time. I guess through life, you definitely experience situations that you could describe as microaggressions or you could just describe as racist full stop. Have I experienced less of those things than my father? Yeah, I, I have. So there's progression, but we shouldn't be content with with where we are. Um, you know, if there's still these negative experiences, is there still these situations happening to people? We see it often in the news. We see it not sometimes in daily life as well. So we should never be complacent with the progress that's been made. If it's still happening, that means it's still uh, you know a problem. I'm Jeremy Toje. I'm uh, Maro's older brother. Life growing up with Maro was uh, interesting. It was uh, very competitive between himself and everybody. I-, I was initially playing rugby first. I think maybe Maro got a little bit of, you know, the fun of playing rugby from me, telling him stories about playing it at St. George's. Um, so I think he was pretty keen. Not claiming any responsibility for him being as good as he is now. But, but yeah, I think that that might have been uh, one of the ways that he, he kind of took up the sport. He was super athletic when he was younger, bigger and taller than everyone else in his age group, but also really fit. Uh, he, he had like an all-round athletic ability. So when he started playing rugby, his, his progression was, was really quick. After a couple of years, you started to see his like brain start thinking and how he can really be um, a bit of a nuisance around the pitch as well as as well as uses athleticism and I think that's kind of one of the things that is his greatest strength today is around his the way he thinks around the game um, and the way he attempts to try and find and bend the rules a little bit um, to, to the betterment of his team. I'm incredibly proud of Maro for being able to stay particularly humble even though he's had so much success as a rugby player, he's still the same normal individual to, to everyone in his family and, and friends and close circles around him. He's someone that has time for everyone. And I'm, I'm particularly proud of his 
you know, work ethic and his ability to understand that, you know, he's not here just by his own hard work. It's been a combination of all the coaches, all the people who have helped him um, get to where he is. The fact that he has so many people who have contributed to that, I think he's aware of that as well. And he's aware of the, the effort and the time they dedicated and gave to him. I'm, I'm pretty proud of the fact that he's aware of that and, and gives them gives them their credit and their due as well. As I spent most of my life in Britain, I guess there's a bit of a longing for a connection to Nigeria, to Africa. So I think part of my love towards African art is loving the artwork and just loving it on a purely aesthetic level. But I think a deeper level of my love for African art is the perhaps longing for the connection to Nigeria, longing to be a bit closer to home and reminding myself of that connection I do have to Africa and more specifically Nigeria. A couple of years ago, I co-curated an exhibition at the Signature African Art Gallery in London, and the exhibition was called A History Untold. The whole premise behind the exhibition was that throughout our education system, we are often told one story about Africa. It's an important part of the story, but it's not the full story. The whole part of the exhibition was to highlight different artists from all over the continent and their contribution or that country's contribution to the world we live in. So we had a whole number of different artists from different parts of the continent and they were telling one aspect of the country's story to the world. So for example, we had a South African artist who depicted a 3D artwork in and around um, jazz and the origins of jazz and how South African music has influenced the roots of jazz. We're basically trying to tell these stories about these African countries which were not told in the school curriculum. I've been very fortunate so far you know, I've played for one club throughout my whole career, so I've had a stable life in that regard. I have, I've had a solid foundation with my club. Um, you know, my club is the type of club that wants to achieve, wants to win. Our players are incredibly ambitious. Our coaches have high standards and we have a great environment. So we're constantly pushing, trying to be great. One of the most important things is that you have to just keep rugby the main thing focus on rugby, then everything else outside of that kind of falls into place. Like rugby is always you know, the, the foundation of what I do. I don't want to be the type of player who's only good for a couple of years. I want to be someone who's consistently good for over a long period of time. And, you know, I want to be part of teams that win. I want to be part of teams that accumulate trophies. I want to be a part of teams that you know, it's really successful. And to do that, you have to keep the focus. Swing Low Sweet Chariot is a song that's 
from my knowledge, has been sung since the 1980s or so for the English rugby team as a, as a song to support England, buying into the great atmosphere that we have at Twickenham. However, the origins of the song, it was a song that was sung in, amongst slaves as a, as a way to get them through tough moments. So the original context of the song is vastly different to how the song, the song is sung in this day. That became apparent for a lot of people during that 2020-2021 sort of stage where it kind of got brought to life. And, you know, and some people felt that that song, because of the origins of it, is not necessarily appropriate to sing it for live rugby entertainment or sports entertainment due to the origins of the song. And I guess the, the counter-argument is that, uh, one, we didn't know. Two, there's a completely different meaning to when we sing it. We, we're not singing it with that original context in mind. Where I've settled with it is that I'm not here to tell anyone whether or not they should sing that song. I know I used to sing the song, like, and it's, it is a good song. But given the original context behind it is, is why I've chosen to take the stance I have with regards to the song. Am I saying that people who sing that song are racist? Of course not. Or am I saying that people shouldn't sing that song? I'm saying that people should make their own decisions based on knowing all the information. And if you choose one way or the other, that's on that individual person. I feel that no athlete should feel the pressure to speak on things they do not want to speak on. They shouldn't feel the pressure to do so just because they're an athlete, you know. But if there are issues, if there are causes that you are passionate about, then wholeheartedly you should be able to express your, your opinion and point or point of view. When you speak out on certain issues, you do open yourself up to criticism. You do open yourself up to be attacked. However, if it's something that you believe, then it almost doesn't matter if people criticize you or people disagree with you because that's your belief, that's your conviction. We open ourselves up to criticism pretty much every time we go on the field, you know? Sometimes you win, you're criticised, you lose, you're criticised. It's the nature of the game that we play. Sometimes it's constructive to so try to take the good from the criticism. You have to take the rough with the smooth. And it's never as good as it seems, and it's never as bad as it seems. In reality, you're always somewhere in the middle. Having that as a reference point and knowing that at the end of the day, the sun is going to come up tomorrow, I think keeps things in perspective for me. 